Good evening and welcome to this Retina UK information webinar. This is one of a series of webinars we're hosting and we will be, deli be delivering at least one on a different topic each month. Uh, so we have a slightly different feel to our webinar this evening. Uh, we are joined by Dr. Mari Thurston from uh, Abate University, John Manning from Arthur Ellis, Kirsty Pickles uh, and Denise Rawdon and Paula McGrath from the Retina UK team. So tonight they'll be talking about well-being, how you can manage your own and how Retina UK can support you. So whilst this evening's discussion is taking place, uh, we will be collecting your questions. Uh, if you'd like to ask a question of our panel, um, please type it into the Q&A section on the screens. Uh, these questions will be anonymized um, and asked by the team on your behalf. So please leave your questions throughout the presentation um, for the next hour or so. So we will endeavor to answer as many of your questions as we can. However, any questions we're not able to get to this evening will be followed up over the next couple of weeks. So thank you once again for joining us. And without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce you to the host of our panel, Paula McGrath. Good evening, everybody. Um, thank you very much, um, Matt, for that introduction. So yes, I'm Paula McGrath. I uh, have the privilege of being the Director of Development at Retina UK. And I'm really delighted this evening to be joined by four guests who have a wealth of information to share with us about Discover Wellbeing, our new resource. I'd really like to invite um, them to introduce themselves and just to tell us a little bit about the involvement they've had in the project. Um, and they're just really, we're just going to have a bit of a chat this evening um, and see what we can learn from each other about well-being, um, particularly how that might impact those of us um, in the inherited sight loss community and the new resource that we've got to, to share with you. Um, John, would you just like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm John Manning. I am the founder and CEO of Arthralis Mental Health Support, and I'm the chief trainer uh, on Discover Wellbeing. Thank you, John. Mary? So I'm Dr. Mary Thurston, and I'm a senior lecturer in counselling at Aberty University. <clears throat> I have RP, and I research in the emotional impact of sight loss and look at counselling interventions for sight loss. And I was really thrilled to be an advisor for the project. Thank you, Mary. Um, Kirsty? Hi, I'm Kirsty. I've got a visual impairment and I've completed all three of the um, Discover Wellbeing courses. Thank you, Kirsty. And uh, Denise? Hi, I'm Denise. I'm uh, one of the Information and Support Managers here at Retina UK and really passionate about uh, Discover Wellbeing that we've managed to develop with the help of these guys. Thank you, Denise. Yeah, and everybody, I mean, we simply wouldn't have been able to do what we've done um, with Discover Wellbeing without the support of everybody um, on the panel this evening. So thank you so much um, for all that you've done. Um, Denise, I think we'll set the scene, really. Could you just give us a bit of an overview of Discover Wellbeing um, and why we took the decision at Retina UK to create this resource? Yeah, absolutely. In, in 2019, we actually ran um, the Retina UK Sight Loss Survey. And we had about just under a thousand people actually responded to that survey. And of those who responded, there was a huge 92% of people told us that living with um, their condition had a negative impact on their well-being and their mental health. And that wasn't a figure we could ignore. We needed to do, wanted to do something about it to support our, our community. So um through throughout COVID, we had worked with John at and the team over at Arthur Ellis to develop um, well-being support for our volunteers on our helpline team. And the feedback was really positive. So it sort of acted like a, a pilot. It, if it worked for our volunteers that are all themselves living with our conditions um, and it made a difference, then it was something that we definitely wanted to look at how we could roll that out to our community. Um, but we know we, we needed to adapt it. We, need, we wanted to make sure that it was absolutely gonna hit the mark. Um, we wanted to normalize the conversation, making sure that people felt comfortable talking about how they feel 
about the condition that they're living with, not just what it is on how their eyes are. Um, so we really wanted to include the community to make sure that they were part of it right from the beginning and help to develop it to what it is. Thanks, Denise. And um, just to follow up on that point, John, I wonder if you could explain to us a little bit about that approach that we took to developing the resource. Um, I know that Arthur Ellis, you know, really keen to work with us, but you also um, very accepting the fact you're not experts in this field of inherited sight loss. So um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about sort of the research and the focus groups. Yeah, certainly. Well, if, if, if we were going to do something like this, we wanted to do it properly. And that's also where getting, getting Mari involved was so key and one of the primary things that we, we worked on specifically with with Denise uh, in in the Retina UK team was putting together focus groups to make sure that we aren't just putting together something that's very general it needed to be a lot more specific for the community and driven by the community so we had we were, we were able to kind of come up with these different stages of sight loss whether it's um, rp uh, or, or any other condition and we identified through the people that retina uk were working with a lot of people that were really keen to contribute to this in the community so we ran different focus groups of people who may be newly diagnosed through to people who have been living with um with these conditions for a long time um and also friends and family members so that we're able to understand everything that surrounds these conditions and really kind of target the support um, through the training. And um, can you tell us a little bit about how you found that process? Um, what, what did you learn? Were there any surprises um, as you held those focus groups? And I think we also kicked off with um, a survey we effectively went out to um, a large number of our community asking them whether it would be something they would be interested in sharing their experiences was and with us on and I have to say we we're absolutely overwhelmed by the response so um, that then gave us the people that we were, we were keen to, to I guess probe a little deeper and held the focus groups with but yeah were there any surprises what kind of things did you learn? The, well I've never seen a response like it if I'm honest um, and, and the, the trouble with the focus groups was narrowing it down to sort of be quite selective of the, the, the people that we involved. So we had such a great selection. It's such an active community, which was really, really good to, um, to become part of. And there were a variety of things in particular throughout doing the focus groups that, that we were able to identify. And that's quite a lot around trying to hide conditions which was, I think, one of the, the biggest surprises for me. Um, for example, with, um, with Usher's syndrome, where it might be sight loss or, or hearing loss or, or a combination of both. Um, usually people might just demonstrate or, or just identify as, as losing their hearing. And they won't necessarily add on that we're also, I'm also um, visually impaired. So there was quite a lot of that, as well as um, with family and friends. The discussions that we were having was so open and it's almost like once there's a once there is a platform for discussion, it can be really, really productive. So it was a really great thing to see in the focus groups, sort of facilitating these discussions between you know, partners, between um, you know, parents. And it, it was a wonderful thing to see. Um, and then it, that kind of led us on to the all of the research and everything that Dr. Mari Thurston had done into the the different stages um, or, or the different stages of impact that sight loss can have, which was a massive contributor to putting this together. Mary, perhaps I could invite you to, to tell us a little more about that. I mean, you you explained it when you introduced yourself that you live with a, a sight loss condition yourself. You are a member of our community. Um, and I know you've brought your lived experience to the project. Um, could you tell us a little bit about um, maybe some of the emotional um, impacts that you've experienced and how that led you to develop um, the model that you kindly agreed to us using for these modules? Yeah, well, I, I mean, some people who've heard me speak before might just 
been nodding off as I tell my story. They'll go, don't get her to tell her story again. Anyway, if you have heard this over and over, thank you for your patience. I think it is kind of important because um, I guess uh, my own experience of inherited sight loss was there was nobody in my family and maybe this is if you're on this call tonight maybe be the same for you um so my diagnosis was completely out the blue and um I had no nobody no family history nobody in the family had any kind of connection with blindness and it wasn't something that was on my radar so I was kind of living my normal life and um uh, at the age of 39, uh, a kind of routine eye appointment, I picked up that there was something really wrong with, with my retina. And that um, started off a, a catalyst of appointments at the ophthalmology clinic. And maybe this is something you recognize yourself if you're on the call tonight. Um, and uh, from that point, from having the diagnosis of RP, which uh, came about as a result of these appointments, my life went into a tailspin. So it was already a busy life. Like I was working as a primary teacher full time. I had two kids under five and another on the way. And uh, and she was born uh, during the kind of turmoil of this diagnosis. So there I was with three kids under five you know with my diagnosis of you're going to go blind there's no cure and um I just you know that I kind of stopped working and um I wasn't able to drive anymore and um it felt like there was a kind of nuclear bomb went off in my life really because life as I knew it didn't you know it wasn't the same and and I had to cope with like being a new mother and having these toddlers and having more responsibilities and uh, and I went into a real deep depression which lasted several years and um you know I really kind of I feel I felt like I missed some of the children you know like right at that really crucial stage where mom should be so important I kind of was missing an action in terms of of the own my own response to this so when eventually I kind of came out of this depression and that was uh, getting my guide dog who was pretty spectacular she's called Wanda and she won the guide dog of the year and there was a lot of publicity around it and I, I kind of got my confidence back connection with life again and um I studied to be a counsellor and I, I, I loved it. Um, and I my first research project then was based on my own experience. Like, so when I went through, there was no nobody at any point asked me about how I felt, right? And my, I felt my life was over. I just thought there's nothing for me. I don't know how I'm going to do mothering. I don't know how I'm going to do existing. I don't know what to do now that I'm, I can't see. Now that I've been told I'm going blind, I don't know when I'm going to go blind. I know it's going to happen. I know I can't stop it. So it was, it was huge. And um, so there was nobody along the way that was going, my, how are you doing? You know, and I don't even, and I, I feel like, I thought it wasn't just me was it just me that had this response to getting a diagnosis of sight loss which seemed so innocuous I guess at the time but had such a catastrophic effect on my life and um so that was my first research project and I I did I kind of interviewed um people most of them were from RP it was a lot of um our east of Scotland RP people that, that contributed to this study for which I'm eternally grateful and from that study it was like really evident that this was really common and the type of study I did uh made it uh, a kind of a, a theoretical model emerged from it about a kind of commonalities in the process of of losing sight and I didn't really have a good name for it at that time I called it the process of uh, the process of the transition from sight to blindness it wasn't really catchy name but actually as time has gone by I think actually it's just stages of sight loss and that's how I've kind of called it now there's five stages of sight loss yeah a bit long-winded <laughs> and I think it would probably be useful at this stage Mary if you just sort of um, give us an overview of those five stages and, and and how you position those because they are integral to the resource that's being developed by by John and his team well yes well it, they're they're pretty distinct actually and from all I mean this has been this model has been kicking around now for about 12 years and the more uh, I've been involved in the sector the more people say to me yeah I really recognize myself in that and even actually recently I was talking to somebody who had MS and she said I this model makes sense to me 
as being interviewed by her anyway. But so it starts with diagnosis um, is stage one where you have this this huge diagnosis. And um, interestingly, it can be a diagnosis that you feared. So there's maybe been in your family, if you've, if you know, if you've looked at, you've got others who've got uh, inherited sight loss, you kind of feared this and it, it, it started, when it happens, it's still a big, big blow. Um, or it could be like me out the blue. And, and during this stage, you know, like there's kind of shock and panic, you know, disbelief, fear, a lot of fear. And I, I found that people kind of look to their clinicians to uh, make sense of their diagnosis in three ways so like intellectually what what is this what you know what can I find out about it what research is being done and um, then there was a kind of practical aspect that they wanted to know like how is it going to impact on my lifestyle like could I still drive you know what are the treatments available and then there was this emotional side is like how am I going to cope right and um but in that that how am I going to cope is the really fearful bit you know that it is the part of the diagnosis and then there's a second stage which is I call it the keep calm and carry on and and that's where there's no outward signs so you've had this diagnosis but you're not using really a white stick or a you know, you're not using a guide dog. So there's no really outward signs. And there's a sense of wanting to hide the sight loss. So even if you've had initial mobility training, maybe you've got a, a long cane, but you don't use it, you keep it in a rucksack or you don't use your liquid level measure in in public, you get other people to do that, to pour the tea, you know, it's that sense of like, I want to keep it private. And a lot of that is because I think it's so much to deal with that, that um, you don't want to go public with it, you know, like, you're just still struggling with it yourself. And then there's a point a stage three, which I call the point of impact. And that is where the sight loss that like you can't hide it any longer really impacts on your lifestyle so it, it, it's like your lifestyle has to change like maybe you can't um you can't go out anymore You've, you kind of don't have the confidence to get around anymore maybe it's like you've lost your driving license maybe it's that you you know you you just aren't able to read anymore read print and so the sight loss has really impacted and that is such a difficult stage you know and it it, it can has multiple losses in this maybe you kind of have these impacts on how your your hopes and fears your future plans you know your aspirations it's a really really complex and challenging stage and then there's a stage four which is coming out as a blind person that's where you realize that actually you've got to engage with the mobility aids or whatever it is in order to push through it you know and and when you do that, you've got these outward signs of sight loss. And, and that's really tricky because not only are you, you're kind of, you're, like you say, you're coming out, you know, you're, you're dealing with the public perception of what a blind person is. And you're maybe still coming to terms with it yourself. You're a bit fragile about it, but people are starting to treat you as a blind person. And the public are really awkward around blindness. And, you know, I, I, you know people maybe talk slower to you or they talk to your partner, you know, and you feel that kind of sense of I'm different, you know, I, I, I'm kind of different. I'm, I'm not who I was. And, and yeah, it's a really challenging stage. And then there's a stage five and all of this kind of difficult sort of wading through treacle stuff. There's a stage five where actually it's a kind of like you have a new normal and you reconnect with your kind of strengths and resources and somehow you find your way through this and your life opens up again. Right. But it's not linear. So it can happen like at different, uh, like it can be compressed. So for example, you might at diagnosis be told that you can't drive and there's a point of impact happens right at the point where you're diagnosed and it's just a, a whirlwind of like, you know, trauma and loss. Uh, or it might be like the, the, one of the participants in the study she didn't really her blindness or diagnosis her she didn't really hit a point a point of impact until her husband died and he was her main carer and she suddenly realized actually I don't know how to live my life without him in it and that her point of impact came much further down the line so and it could be cyclical like for example the pandemic even though I'm a kind of identifying being in, in the five the fifth stage like in the new normal and I kind of having a, a, a great life a new kind of different life but the pandemic 
put me back into my point of impact because mm -hmm. it took away all of the, the my kind of coping strategies were gone and maybe you'll recognize that if you're on the call too that you know you can go back in but maybe the transition back to five is is not as as torturous as it were but so it's a really fluid way of just thinking about the whole process of um of the progression of blindness and and how you cope with it Thank you, Mary. I mean, we, those of us on the panel don't have the um, pleasure of seeing the audience um, who are with us this evening, but um, I'm sure there are many heads nodding because every time you talk about this with our community, that's what happens. You know, we, we, we get people going, but that's me. That, that's exactly what I experienced. And I think that's why we felt so strongly that we wanted to be able to use that model um, for this resource. Kirsty, you've been sitting very quietly and patiently listening to um, the other panellists this evening. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm very aware that you are one of the first people who have actually worked through Discover Wellbeing. So we're really keen to hear a little from yourself. Um, I wondered first whether um, what Mary had sort of um, just described to us had, had resonated with you and whether you felt comfortable sharing a little bit of your experience of, of the emotional impacts of, of sight loss. Yeah, um, it's definitely relevant, the five stages. Um, doing this course has really opened my eyes as to um, how on my sight loss journey I've been in those different stages. And like Mary said, it's, it's not linear, so you can go forwards and backs from from different stages to the other. Um, I was diagnosed when I was about nine years old, so I didn't really get much um, emotional and mental health support back then. I don't think it was really sort of widely known about mental health as much as it is now. Um, plus my eyesight wasn't that bad at that point, so I think I just sort of carried on with how I was doing because it was just normal to me. Um, but as I've got older, my eyesight's got worse and I've sort of, because I didn't have that help initially, I've sort of looked for self-help self myself. Um, so I found this course really useful in sort of showing me that the stages that I've been through, it's just all part of the journey. Thanks, Kirsty. Um, and that's really interesting to hear that you've sort of been really proactive and mindful of the need to find some support um, to support you with your well-being. And I think um, one of the things that we're really, really keen to do that Denise mentioned earlier was to normalise this conversation. So actually, we all feel comfortable about having the conversation, not only about sort of the practical day to day impacts of, of living with an inherited sight loss condition but also those emotional impacts and then we do check in with people and we encourage everybody to be asking people how are you feeling you know and, and to draw out and, and just to be really comfortable around that so the fact that you're comfortable joining us this evening to talk about um your well-being um is great and, and really you know encouraging and hopefully will encourage other people to feel comfortable to do the same and um, denise Obviously, um, as our information support manager, you spend a lot of time um, supporting our volunteers um, who man our helpline um, and our talk and support service and so on. Is this something that regularly crops up on the helpline? Do we get lots of calls around um, people's emotional health? Um, maybe not just from those living with the condition, but from their family members as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's definitely an area um, that, and, and quite often you find that people um, will come on to a call or, or start a conversation with a very practical question because they they aren't sure how to open the conversation um, and that that's because nobody ever asks they, you know so the, the fact that they're contacting us and they're talking to somebody else because our, our volunteers and our services are all living with a condition themselves and we're not afraid to ask that question you know and how are you feeling about that? How are you coping? How are you doing? Um, you know, we, we want to ask the question and we're genuinely interested to know how people are. You know, it's the whole person that we're here to support. So, and that includes family members as well. Yeah, so we it, it definitely is an area that we hear a lot about. And the family members, um, John, maybe we can just pick up on this, because uh, I think when we first um, spoke to you about developing this resource, we hadn't really identified family members and professionals as, as somebody that we were sort of aiming the resource at. But 
no, it was probably haven't. through the focus groups that we 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 had a bit of a change of heart on that, didn't we? We did, and, and certainly looking at sort of targeting resources to people with inherited sight loss conditions. A lot of the time, and certainly speaking to some of the people in the focus groups who, who did have inherited sight loss, it was a lot of the conversations that we were having were, you know, not not sharing certain things with their family members. Um, and there was, I don't know whether people might resonate with this, but also um, listening skills for family members. I don't know if that's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Hopefully it is. But family members, uh, you know, somebody with an inherited sightless condition trying to explain their situation or explain how they're feeling. Um, but but family members or, or friends or whatever, not necessarily giving away the or giving off the vibe that they are actually listening, even though it's such a an important thing to them. There was just that imbalance of understanding. So it became quite clear that we needed to develop something for family, friends, um, and, and I think we ended up sort of calling it supporters. Um, and that was the same for professionals. Um, there was a very, very clear trend of there not necessarily being a huge amount of support, especially at that diagnosis phase. You know, you kind of got this bombshell diagnosis, which is very impactful on life, but you kind of thrown a leaflet and sort of they sort of said you know crack on basically and there's there's quite lacking um guidance and support which is where speaking to the the focus groups particularly from from people that retina uk have supported it was clear that that helpline is it's not i don't know if it's necessarily a helpline but it's also a bit of a lifeline for people where you know if you aren't necessarily feeling like you are able to be honest about your situation or able to describe your situation to family and friends it's a place a really safe space safe space where you can go where you can be you know really ask someone who might have been through it before you know what do I do next um so it was incredible not only spending time with people in those focus groups who experience it themselves and family and friends members but also spending a lot of time with the with the people from the helpline and the volunteers at Retina UK um, to understand all of those different sides to the story. Thanks, John. Um, Kirsty, I wondered when you worked through the modules, um, could could you was it apparent to you that would involve community in this piece of in this piece of work? You know, there's some of the examples that were given um, as you worked through the course. Did you feel that they were very relevant um, to those living with sight loss? Yeah, um, I, I completed the original survey and on doing the course, it sort of reminded me of some of the questions that were asked before. Um, so in the courses, those questions are sort of answered or the, you're given practical advice and practical tools to use to sort of overcome those hurdles that you might be experiencing. Yeah, and that was something that we're really keen to do, that we wanted something, we wanted it to be sort of quite hands on. We wanted to give people the tools to be able to use um, and to, to sort of take them through that journey um, to, to improve their well-being and also to have tools that they can go back to. But we'll, we'll go we'll look at the actual resource Discover Wellbeing um, in a little, little bit more in depth in a moment. And um, Mary, I just wanted to pick up on sort of the fact that this is a well-being course. This is very much a piece of work around well-being. And um, for those of us that don't work in this sort of mental health and well-being arena, um, there might be some misunderstanding about what support is available and how it all sort of fits together. Um, I wonder whether you could just explain to people sort of a little bit about where counselling sits, where well-being sits, and you, you're very eloquent in explaining sort of the different tiers, if you like. Could you just take us through that and where you see Discover Wellbeing sitting in that? Yeah, I think, uh, yes, thank you. Um, there is, I think, within the sight loss sector, uh, part of what I've been working out is like, well, we've got kind of different tiers of support. It's like almost like a stepped care. And I think uh, for me, a kind of a tier zero uh, is like 
a person's own strengths and resources. It's like, you know, people do things that give them connection or uh, that give a meaning to their lives. So for example, like your family or friends or hobbies or interests or your know, faiths or beliefs or like your creative pursuits or the natural world. And these are kind of like a holistic starting point for like what we know helps. And I think John picks up some of these kind of ideas for well-being in, in the course really well. And, um, but, when these things like when the person's strengths and resources are depleted or they've lost connection or they they're not getting the same kind of meaning for your life then they need something a little bit more and that's where tier one and I think this is where the well-being course uh, sits so these are services that um, can provide a, 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 a listening ear or advice or normalize things or uh, kind of identify distress and they're designed by professionals right and um, so things like the eye clinic liaison officers in the site as helplines uh, rehab workers local societies um, self-help materials uh, online meditation uh, peer support groups befriending and the uh, living some I think there's a living well with sight loss courses that RNIB runs. Um, but the Retina UK Discover Wellbeing resources are a beautiful fit for here because what has been missing, I think, in the conversations about how are you feeling is, well, what can we do about it? So people are often saying, well, I don't want to open up a can of worms because how can I, you know, there's nothing to offer, but there's so much to offer. And, and this course is, is, is a really beautiful fit. And also, particularly for those who are supporting like even for the kind of frontline workers to have a kind of place to attend to their own well-being and then of course if uh, things that are like if a person's not moving on and they're they're kind of they're not finding that even with this engaging in these kind of uh, tier one resources they're not feeling better then the next stage would be a tier two resources and that would be like the gp uh it would be like uh, the more structured psychological supports delivered by kind of qualified professionals who who maybe who have an ethical framework behind them so gps counseling psychologists specialist counseling services like the rnib emotional support services um uh, iap services if you're out with scotland uh, and then from that, sometimes that's not enough. And then there's uh, like, for example, if there's a continued threat of suicide or if there's a mental health condition that's requiring special support, and that would kind of uh, be better dealt with in tier three services, which I think are the like psychiatric referrals and um, statutory mental health services, inpatients, outpatients and, and so on. So you can see that there's a kind of a range of stepped care and, uh, and this is kind of sitting right kind of in the low levels in the in the level one but that's a really important stage and yeah really great addition to to have if that makes any sense at all. yeah thank thank you Marion I think it's really important to stress this you know this is we don't run a counselling service at Retina UK um, you know we're not experts in this field we're very much set out so people can raise their own self-awareness we have the conversations start to dip the toe in the water maybe they haven't ever done anything with regards to a well-being before maybe they're not very familiar with it it's a really comfortable safe way from home just to dive in isn't it have a little look and start to learn more which is is you know well-being is something we all need to look after our well-being don't we um but this resource is specifically targeted for those with inherited sight loss conditions and those that support them and um, John, the mystery, well, discover well-being. We've talked about it a lot, but we haven't really talked about what it is. Um, could you just sort of tell us a little bit about what people will find when they go on there? Denise is going to give us a, a little preview in a moment, but just the approach that you took, I know there's some videos in there and other practical tools. So can you talk us through that, please? Yeah, well, I, I'm, it's all about bananas and donuts, which is going to sound really abstract and a little bit weird, but... Um, about six years ago, well, it, when I was when I was six years old, I was first in a, a children's mental health hospital. Um, now, the reason why we wanted to involve the community so much and all of that learning up front, which was sort of a, probably about six months or so, it, it took to to really get to, to to grips of what what's the actual content that we're going to be putting out, and it's because I don't have a sight loss inherited sight loss condition 
And I was very, very aware of that. And it's kind of like, I suppose, if somebody says, oh, I understand, but they, you can tell that they really don't. It's one of the most frustrating things in the world. So I really wanted to really get to grips with, with, with what was going on. But throughout my personal life, from the age of six up to around 26, my own mental health was a bit of a mystery. I didn't really know what was going on, that something wasn't quite right. And I was very fortunate to be able to see a psychiatrist when I was 26 and I was diagnosed with something called bipolar disorder, which is incurable, degenerative. Um, it's something that impacts quite a bit of my life. It's, it is a disability. So it was really great to be able to see, um, well, use great <laughs> loosely, I suppose, but it was great to be able to see the comparisons between those things and try my best to to put myself in in other people's shoes you know uh, from a from a mental health perspective and on the way back from that appointment when I was diagnosed with bipolar and I, I was just to give you a bit of an idea about how the different uh, professionals might might deal with the situation I was diagnosed with this thing you know it's um life expectancy is around 50 so it's quite a impactful thing on people's lives and I said, you know, what is it? And But we were at the end of our appointment, so I was told to Google it to find out more. And that kind of really resonated with a lot of people at that diagnosis phase about how, you know, how the diagnosis is received and then what you're kind of left with. So I was on, I was in a, a traffic light actually on the, on the drive home, um, which I also, you know, I had to tell the DVLA and, and go through that whole process as well. Um, and I was at a traffic light and you know, I've got this answer for the last 20 years of what I've been experiencing, but what do I do next? You know, despite what I'm diagnosed with or what, you know, the, the Google might tell me my life is going to look like, how might I be able to actually manage day to day? What behaviors do I need to do? So we based a lot of it off of, off of that. And bananas um, are essentially what our well-being is made up of. All of those positive behaviors that are impacted throughout our lives, whether it's a seasonal change, um, whether it's a, a wedding. I don't know if anyone's seen a stress-free bride and groom before, but I, I, I doubt it. Um, so even if it's a seemingly positive event, it can still have an impact on us. And that's because our behavior changes throughout those life events. And we were able to have a look at um, what do these stages and building this into the focus groups, what kind of life impact does this have so we could make it as practical as possible. So the, the bananas are all of those positive but small behaviours that we can do, just like eating a banana every day. So if you were to introduce a banana into your diet for the next six months, you're going to get good energy. Um, yeah, you might get a little bit bored if you don't switch it up now and then with an apple or whatever it might be. But it's going to give you good nutrients, minerals, energy, and you're only going to get healthier. But then we have the other side of things, which are donuts and, and donuts came about because I was literally going to Lidl pretty much every day throughout lockdown to get a toffee yum yum. And you never just stop with one donut, do you? One donut turns to two and three and four. And that was kind of like our behavior. So we have these indulgent behaviors that we do sometimes where you know we were definitely planning on going for a walk but we've maybe been scrolling on social media or sat in front of the tv for too long and now it's dark and we can't so it's that balance of positive behavior versus the pod versus the negative behavior and if similar to a banana if you imagine what happens well paula what happened what would happen to you do you think if you were to have a donut every day for six months I don't really want to think about it, John. It wouldn't be pleasant for those around me. And actually, Denise and I often have conversations now in the office about who's eating how many donuts and how many bananas. So, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and you know, if you if you imagine having having a donut every day, you're probably going to start feeling quite sluggish. Um, start maybe putting on weight. All of these different things, but as well, if you were to have a donut every single day for six months, do you think you would tell anyone? Oh no. Why not? I'd be embarrassed. I'd be ashamed, wouldn't I? Exactly. And that's, that's, it's all part and parcel of, you know, 
managing our well-being is a lot of it is preventative it's making sure that we know what we need to do so that we don't necessarily get to that stage that that starts creeping in and if it does then we know what to do in order to get ourselves back and that's what the bananas and donuts are, are all about and, and that's what I suppose in the targeted at the different areas that we that we cover that's what discover well-being is all about it's discovering what it actually is in the first place how it's built up across our lives and what can we do ourselves and what can the people surrounding us do that are going to help us to keep it intact yeah and I think it's it's quite an easy to understand concept and I think once people go on to discover well-being and start to to work their way through this will absolutely make sense um I mean from a practical perspective you've developed a large number of um, videos there's sort of um, downloadable resources and I just want to stress at this stage um that we worked really really hard on the accessibility of this site to ensure that it was accessible for all those um who choose to, to log on and use the resources. And um, so we did a lot of testing. We spent a lot of time ensuring that it was suitable for um, different kinds of tech and screen readers and, and all sorts, just to, so we didn't have um, hopefully any issues with people um, being able to log on. And um, Denise, I, I wonder whether this is, might be a good time for you to give us a little, little look at a few of the pages. I am conscious of time and the fact that I want to ensure that we give time for questions, um, but I do think it would be nice if you're happy to just to show us a few of the pages so people can get a feel. And then I'd very much encourage people after this webinar or at a time that's convenient for them to, to log on and have a look themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to do that. Just to show you a little bit, she says, fantastically looking for it. There we go. Let's see, can everybody see that? Okay, so this is the screen. If you um, visit our website, we've got a, a landing page that talks about it, explains a little bit about Discover Wellbeing. And um, John and Mary have kindly uh, done a little video for us, an introduction video, um, explaining a little bit about, about what they've talked about today. Um, and, and explaining a little bit about how the how the courses work. So the first thing you need to do uh, when you click on that link, it'll bring you to this stage. And the first thing you need to do is register, which is a really simple. We've kept it very straightforward. Um, all it does is ask for your uh, your name. Uh, your email address and you can choose whatever password you want to put in to keep it nice and simple for you. Once you've registered, it will um, it will go to a login screen. You just click to log in to the service. And then whenever in the future you um, you come to log in, it, will, it can remember, you can set it to remember your password. Um, and the first thing it does is take you to this introduction screen. Um, there's a very nice introductory video from John, which uh, I encourage you to have a look at. And then if you scroll down, it gives you the three course options that you can choose from. Um, we've got the first one, which is early stages, and that's as it suggests for, for people who are perhaps um, in the early stage of their diagnosis, or perhaps they haven't been diagnosed yet, but they've got concern that it might be coming, that they're going through that process and they think that diagnosis might be on its way. Um, it's very much about um, anticipating the future, maybe a little bit of you know, anxiety around what the future might hold uh, and how to deal with that. The next one is living with change. This is people a little bit further on in their journey. Um, perhaps you've already dealt with some, you know, having to adapt some um, deterioration in your site previously, but this time it's there's something that's just, it's there and there is a little bit more anxiety around it. Um, just again, it's about that concern and it's about how we manage those adaptations to make sure that living with the change is, is as, as smooth and pain free as we can make it. And the third course that we've talked about is supporting others. So that's very much for family, for friends and for professionals who are supporting our community as well. So you choose which one you want to go into. Uh, we'll just choose early stages. And all three courses are laid out in exactly the same manner. 
they're very similar in content. Um, they use very similar uh, tools and activities, uh, but they are introduced in a different way, perhaps at a different time uh, that is, is more appropriate for the particular um, area that you, you know the, the particular timing for you so as soon as you go into uh the course it will be set out um in stages so the first thing you're going to come to is an early stages is an opening questionnaire and the questionnaire is actually made up of five sections and this is the first thing that you need to do you need to just work through each of those um stages answering questions they're just um uh, literally sort of click a box that asks a question and for you to indicate whether it's something you strongly agree with you agree with or you or you disagree with and it will take you through and that's really just going measuring um sort of where you're at at the moment your emotional literacy that, you, that you're the level that you're at at the moment once you've actually gone through the five stages of that questionnaire it will take you into the first module now each course is made up of five modules of the five stages that Mary talked about, and they're all laid out very similar. So in each section, there will be an introductory paragraph to that module. There'll be a video. Uh, so you'll hear John um, giving, uh, imparting his expertise. And following on from the video, um, he will have spoken about um, some really practical tools and activities throughout the video and if you scroll down it will then take you to those activities and they're in there as downloadable um, word documents that you download onto whichever device you're using you can type in what you think your own responses you can you can put your own thoughts in there and save that as something that you can come back to um, either throughout the course or indeed when you finish the course you know in, in months in years time um, it, it's a working document for you to actually use which people have said is really really useful so it will take you through there are five modules and we suggest we suggest that maybe you do maybe um, a module a week will give you enough time to actually start to bed in some of those activities and then uh, at the end of the fifth module there'll be that questionnaire again so we'll revisit that questionnaire and ask you to um, complete it again and we can we can actually assess then whether there's actually been any difference uh, whether the course has, has helped you um, once that's finished it will um, it will actually pro produce um, a, an email to you to ask you for some feedback. And I can't stress the importance of that. Right from the beginning, we've involved community. And it's so important to us that we hear from you how you've got on with these courses and what you think. You know, have we got it right? Is there improvements we can make? It's really important that you give us that feedback because it's only by hearing from you that we can continuously improve this resource. Um, and the other thing is that when you sign up to this system, to, to the courses, um, it's a standalone course. What we'd really like is to be able to carry on supporting you at the end of this. So there will be an email that comes out to you to offer um, different services that we, you know, that we can talk about that may complement and carry on the support that we're able to offer at the end of the courses. So that's sort of a whistle stop tour, Paula. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for keeping it brief. I mean, as I said, just encourage anybody to go on um, and have a look and, um, and see for themselves. Uh, it really does require that experience to, to, to understand what we've, what we've done. Um, just one thing I'm conscious we haven't touched on. Um, we have trained some volunteers um, to support with this service. Um, it is possible for those um, who choose to work through the modules to have an assisted journey. And that means that you'll be supported by a trained Retina UK volunteer who themselves has experience of um, inherited sight loss. And really that's, that's the opportunity just to have somebody to check in with every now and again um, for encouragement and support to see how you're getting on with your um, Discover Wellbeing course. That is restricted to those specifically with inherited sight loss. We're, we're happy for anybody to use the modules, but the assisted journey is for those with inherited sight loss and, and those family and, and, and friends. 
And um, yeah, if anybody's keen on that, again, there's information on Discover Wellbeing as to how you can get in touch with us and we can um, match you with a volunteer who will just give you that encouragement as you work through. Um, I do want to have time for a couple of questions. Um, I'd just also like to remind everybody that Discover Wellbeing is just one of many information support services um, that we provide at Retina UK. So do have a look on our website to see what else is available. Um, we've got our helpline, we've got talk and support service, we've got local peer support groups. Um, we've got a whole host of ways that you can um, we can support you and your family. So do have a look at the website and, and see what else is available. I think it's quite important for me to make the point that, you know, if anybody is on this call this evening or listening um, to this webinar and really does feel that they need some fairly um, immediate support for their general health or well-being, um, please do um, contact your GP for that support or NHS Direct, um, or if you're feeling very troubled, there are obviously groups like the Samaritans that you can turn to if you really need somebody to to speak to and um, don't wait for us don't wait for the helpline do reach out for that help um, if you feel that you really need somebody to talk to um, i'd like just um kirsty really to to let everybody know sort of i guess really kirsty do you have a message to those um, that are listening to the webinar who might be thinking about having a look at discover well-being yeah so go for it um, it's very informative, very interesting. Um, I'm a screen, screen reader user and it was fully accessible with a screen reader. Um, the documents are all easy to, to work out and navigate and it's just a very enjoyable class. Thank you. Thank you, Kirsty. Um, before we open up to um, questions, anything that we haven't discussed that any of the, the panel members would just like to, to mention before we go to questions? I wouldn't mind just mentioning something because I, I think that sometimes people feel like you need to wait for there to be a problem to do a course like this, and in in some ways it's almost better to do it when you're when you're feeling good, mm -hmm. and one as there's five stages you can you spread it over five weeks you don't have to you do it over five days it doesn't really you do it over five hours if you if you really want uh, if you you know. I, I cringe at the thought of listening to myself on a video, as I'm sure a lot of people, if you've heard your own voice before, that's how I'm feeling right now. But um, but I, I if you if you are feeling good after maybe the first video, these sorts of things or this type of support is almost like antibiotics. You know, you kind of you might start and after the first week you you feel pretty good. Um, but you've kind of got to complete it in order to make sure that you build that extra resilience for next time. So I would certainly encourage people to, you know, whether you're in a, you know, what, what kind of whatever situation you might be in to give it a go. But, but certainly if you're don't wait until you feel like you need it, I, I would I would encourage people to. Wise words. Thank you, John. Um, Matt, I think you're still with us. Have you got any questions for us? We do, and that's uh, fantastic. Thank you, everybody, for um, for giving your your views on this. Um, so, first question we've got come that's come through is: um, is um, this resource just for adults, or would it be suitable for my teenage daughter? John, would you like to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that it's what we what we aim to do was to make sure that it was accessible for people of, of a lot of different ages. I would say that if it would get sort of preteen, then that might be a little bit too young, but certainly um, I, I would just keep an eye on them in, in terms of as they go through the course, you know, do it collaboratively maybe, um, so that you're actually doing it alongside them and you're, you're really collaborating with them with it. Um, we actually at the Retina UK annual conference, when people were in the room and it was a it was actually a face-to-face -face event which was incredible um we were we had that question quite a lot about could you know could my my children use it and certainly i would just make sure that if they are you know 16 or, or between 13 and 16 that maybe you do it with them um but yeah absolutely go ahead the more the merrier 
Thanks, John. That's fabulous. Um, and I think, John, you possibly touched on this on your on one of your last comments, but how long will it take me to complete the course? So it's a it's a totally open course that it won't if it's your first time doing it, it won't let you kind of skip through all the modules. You kind of need to do them in order. But then after you've completed them, you'll be able to flick back through if you if you feel you know these these stages aren't sort of set in stone, they're quite fluid. So I think as, as Mari touched on earlier on, you know, you might be in coming out and then all of a sudden something happens and you go back into point of impact. So it, it will allow you to, to flick through, but you can just pace it as, as however you like. I think that in order to give yourself enough time to really explore the activities, it would be nice to have maybe a week in between each module. Um, but I don't know how cursed, how, Kirsty, how did you kind of, complete them as did you did you space them out or did you do it all in one go um the first one the early stages one I sort of left about a week in between each of the modules but as I was going through the other ones I found that that some of the areas had already been covered so I didn't have to take as long doing that one um although I was learning new things you sort of got that baseline to then move on to the to the other new things yeah, because I think that in, in, in some cases, the activities do actually say, you know, like I think the very first one is um, just encouraging us to to move. We, we call it move, but it's kind of whatever exercise you're you're able to do and that's accessible to you. And um, we kind of say just, you know, try and build a bit of a habit. So sometimes with these habits, they do take a little bit of time and and you could really pace yourself as, as much as you like. Um, but yeah, I think I think a week in between each would be ideal. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on how comfortable you are with it all. Brilliant, thank you. Um, so there's two here. So this, this it's a bit of a statement. This one um, that I think will resonate with um, with a huge number of people. Um, and, and Murray, you almost kind of said this almost word for word as you were doing your introduction. It says, I feel so lonely. My RP has progressed to the stage that I can no longer go out with my girlfriends for things like shopping trips. My husband now does all of the food shopping as I cannot see the labels or food. I feel sad. Uh, I cannot see the new things on offer to buy, whether it be clothes, food, or even gifts for Christmas for relatives. I have a great circle of friends, but I'm finding I'm becoming more inclined to refuse offers of going out uh, because I feel such a burden. I hope this course gives hope. I wonder if um, someone could just respond to that, perhaps. Yeah, I, I would want to respond. Actually, I saw this in the chat and I, I you know, I, it sounds like you're absolutely in the point of impact, like the sight loss is really impacting on you. And I hear the sadness and the feelings of loss that you're experiencing. And I would say definitely try the course, but remember there's tiered uh it's a, a kind of tiered support that's there for you and sometimes when you're in that really deep feelings of loss you know proper a counselor might help or speaking to the gp because uh, it sounds like you're withdrawing from the community so do attend to this and and definitely try the the well-being course i think that will be helpful but it might be that you also need more immediate real you know like support from a counsellor somebody who understands and I would recommend the RNIB helpline uh, there are some trained counsellors there who will be really happy to talk through some of the stuff that you're experiencing and my heart goes out to you and just you know hang in there uh, it is really tough but with the right support you can get through this you know Thanks, you really don't need to feel alone you know there are many organizations including ours the people here that are happy just to have a chat with you and talk through how you're feeling and um, to help you find the, the best support that's available. The support is out there, so please do reach out to us um, in addition to looking at the course and uh, let's see how we can, can best provide that support. Um, we haven't actually mentioned, Matt, the, uh, the URL um, for uh, Discover Wellbeing, so just to ensure that we do that this evening, um, it's www retinauk.org.uk forward slash wellbeing. Um, I know that link will be um, included in um, the email that you receive as a follow-up 
um, to this webinar, in addition to other information and support services from Retina UK, um, but just wanted to make sure that we, we read that out aloud um, for those attending this evening. John? Yeah, I, I really wanted to just, I read that comment earlier on as well, and, um, and I wanted to just kind of highlight specific areas of, of the, the courses. So certainly in, in focus groups, even though it sounds like you, know, you can you can feel incredibly alone at that stage, um, it was something that really came up quite regularly within the community. So it's it's certainly not even though you know you might feel alone, it's not an isolated issue. It's it's experienced by a lot of people. And there was one person in particular who would use their cane with certain people, but not with their family because they thought that their family would be ashamed. That was kind of their um, their take but one of the things that we explored was you know have you have you asked them have you told them how you might be feeling and actually exploring the subject with your family you know and um and in certainly in coming out in the coming out stages that's an awful lot about how we can communicate effectively with the people around us and put our points across of how we are feeling um because that's half the battle and then I think in, in coming out as well, there's how, how to best utilize your support network. So the different levels of support network that we have, whether it's neighbors, local support groups, family, friends, partners. Um, and then to, to finish, I guess, we, we've, we've come up with, you know, over the years, I've, I've had a lot of people say that they might not want to have those conversations because they might feel like a burden. And my response typically to that would be, if your friends, needed help would they be a burden to you and kind of looking at it from that other perspective because usually you know if your friends need need help you're you're not going to see them as a burden at all and it's it's very difficult when you're in that position to to kind of see that but um but i would i would encourage to to really go on onto the course but also like like mari said reach out for some extra extra help while you do thanks john um, we've there's a couple of bits. Um, so one of which I will respond to um, afterwards. Um, but one perhaps just for Denise, um, just to comment on is uh, one thing to say that what affects well-being a huge amount is the real lack of local support groups for working age people like me. They're focused on young people or the over sixty fives. Yeah, we are um, working really hard to grow our local group offering um, we haven't reached out quite everywhere yet uh, however there's a lot of groups that we I think we have about 15 16 that are active currently around the country but for anybody who can't um, get to a local group uh, that we um, that we run we do also have a national online group um, that in fact they had a meeting just a, a couple of days ago and you are certainly encouraged to come along you know grab a cup of tea log in and and just chat with other people that are in very much the same boat but we do have other services as well you know our talk and support service is um very much about trying to to, to have a conversation with you find out about your you know what, what you're interested in what you're hoping to you know to get out of out of having conversations with someone and to match you with a volunteer that we think you get on well with um for a regular a regular call um just just to engage just to to have that conversation with someone sometimes it's difficult to talk to those that you love and care about because you if you're feeling low you don't want to upset them you don't necessarily want to tell them how you're feeling but it's important that we tell someone that we get it out um because it eats away at us otherwise you know it, it's a, having a safe place to go and sometimes talking to someone who's a bit of a stranger maybe is is easy so whether that's our local group network whether it's our helpline or whether it's our talk and support service that that are definitely organ you know that whether it's retina uk or whether it's your local sight loss organization there is support out there for you never ever feel alone and if you're not sure where to go get in touch with our helpline and we'll point you in the right direction whether that's that's with ourselves or or other services 
Brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Denise. Um, and thank you, everybody on our panel. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, just want to end with a comment. Um, fantastic to hear this kind of conversation happening in our community. It's much needed and long may it continue. And I say here, here to that. Um, so once again, thank you to John, Mary, to Kirsty, Denise and Paula for um, presenting with us this evening. Um, one thing um, that we do like to remind everybody who comes along to our events is that Retin UK is a registered charity. We receive no government funding and we rely on the wonderful supporters to raise funds needed for our vital services uh, and to invest in our groundbreaking med medical research to services such as the webinars um, and the Discover Wellbeing Project. Um, so one way you could support us um, to deliver these services um, is to join our raffle, which is live now. Um, tickets are just £1 each, um, and it's easier than ever this year um, because you can buy the tickets online. Um, so you can visit www.retinauk.org.uk forward slash raffle, uh, and all proceeds go towards um, funding our important work. Now, we do appreciate that well-being and mental health can be very emotive subjects. Um, and as mentioned, at Retin UK, we're here to support you. Um, our helpline, as mentioned again, um, is staffed by volunteers, each of whom have a very personal connection to the inherited sight loss community. Um, the helpline is available until 9.30 this evening if um, anybody would like to, um, to make contact with one of our volunteers. And it's also open between 9.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. Monday to Friday. And you can speak to one of our team just by calling 0300-111-4000. Again, that's 0300-111-4000. Now, as Paula mentioned, we will be sending out a follow-up email just over the next couple of days, which will give you details of how you can re-watch or listen to today's webinar. Uh, we'll also be seeking your feedback. Um, everything we do, uh, we rely very heavily on feedback to make sure we're, we're targeting the right, um, the right areas and to see if there's anything else that you um, would like to see. So please do um, complete the very, very short feedback form um, so we can make sure we are, we are getting things right. And just finally, if you did want to have a look at our wellbeing modules, again, the website for that is www retinauk.org.uk forward slash wellbeing. So once again, thank you ever so much for everybody joining this evening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.